0: I haven't met you before. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor here. This is uh, the basement of me and my wife's house. (laughs) You couldn't figure that out. Um, a A few quick announcements before we get going here. The first, I forgot it, but I have it written down. But the first is, um, oh yeah, the bathroom's right here. <laughs> that's the first. Okay, if you're new here today, so glad that you're here. There's these little QR codes in some of the chairs, not all of them. So it's kind of like a treasure hunt. Look for one of the chairs with a QR code and would love for you to fill this out. This will just get you on our weekly email to tell you what's going on. We've got events and fun stuff planned. If you're interested in trying out life groups, things like that, that's how you do it. Um, uh, but again, super glad that you're here. Per last week and the broken link that I had, which is now fixed. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, this coming Saturday we're doing a class about men's and women's roles okay? so this is a great moment for you if your significant others act in a fool to passively aggressively invite them okay? this is a great moment for that And uh, there is going to be free burritos. I don't know if I need to motivate people to come to this or not, but either way, there's going to be free burritos. So it's like, I think it's like 8.30 to 10.30. It's two hours. It's going to be at my house. So if you want to come, you need RSVP. Here's your chance. It's also going to be in the email. That'll be your chance for that as well, okay? It will also be recorded. Uh, Whether that is good or bad, it's going to be recorded, okay? And the last thing is, I don't know if you've noticed, but in our, in our emails that we send every week, it's like Tuesday, usually it goes out. Now we have like a little event section of the stuff that's going on. One of the things coming up is next, not this coming week, but the week after that, we're going to do another prayer night on Tuesday night, hour and a half, t- location TBD. But I mean, the last time we did this was maybe a month or two ago. I think it's one of the best things we've done so far at our church. So would love to have you there. Um, that's the announcement. So before we get into the sermon really quick here, let me pray going to pray for us. God, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you, Jesus, for winter. Thank you for this wonderful church family that you are knitting together. Thank you for the people um, in the city that we love. We get the chance to serve and preach the gospel to God, we invite you in to teach us today from your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our hearts, encourage us, convict us where we need convicting, and lead us, God. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... My first job out of college, I'm 35 now, so this would have been 12-ish years ago, 13 years ago. And my first job out of college was with this company called PepsiCo. You might have heard of it. Um, and I worked for the Frito-Lay brand. And I, uh, you know, they, they, hi- they hired me to like, eventually become a manager, but I had to like, train to do the job of the people that I was going to manage. That was like the first like, nine months of it. So I did that, and then after doing that, then they hired me into like, a provisional management role where I was managing the sales team. Okay, and I had no idea what I was doing. Right? I was literally 23, managing people who were 40, 50, 60 years old. Imagine being 60 and your boss is 23. All right, I feel for them now. I didn't feel for them then, but now I do. Okay, and I had no idea. But I was—I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to—I wanted to do what my boss wanted me to do, hit my sales goals. I wanted to get a big bonus. And if possible, I wanted to be at the top of the sales ranking and beat everyone too, if possible, right? But here's the thing. I didn't know how to do that. And I was kind of a, I was kind of a moron. Like I, I would go through my weeks and, I, man, I would just, I would get these store managers because I was in and out of stores with like my team. I would get these store managers really mad at me because I had no idea what I was doing, okay? And I was trying to figure out, I was fumbling. And I remember one day, one of my fellow Uh, district managers who had been doing it a lot longer than me, like 15, 20 years. I was talking with him in his office, trying to figure out some of my stuff going on. And he was like, hey, if you want to win, it's called ring of honor is what it's called, to be the the top salesperson. He's like, if you want to win that, I've won that before. And I will tell you exactly what you do, what you should do. And if you do it, there's a good chance that you'll win. And I was like, "Hmm, okay, all right, let's do it. Tell me everything that I need to do and I'll do it, and he was like, okay, and from that mo- moment on, I was following this dude, he became my mentor, he showed me anything and everything, anywhere he wanted to eat lunch, is where we ate lunch, I got to experience all these restaurant places all across uh, Los Angeles at the time, super fun, super good, anytime things went wrong, I would call him, he would go out, with me. I was in the market with him, he was showing me how to watch customers, all these things, I can remember one time, I had this merchandiser, who was somebody that comes in and pulls stock from the back room, fills up the grocery store shelves, and he wasn't starting on time and it was like screwing up the whole day for the rest of my team because he was not starting on time and I was like I don't know what to do about this guy he won't start on time how do I he doesn't he won't listen to me cuz I was 23 and and he was like this is I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do I was like okay what he's like what time does he start I was like he's supposed to start at 5 he's like this is what you're going to do you're going to get to his first store at 4:30 I was like am he was like yeah, I was like, okay, just want to see, not PM, you know, I was, I was like microwaved cookie dough, bro, I was not impressive, um, so I get to this first store, and he's like, this is what you're gonna do, you're gonna beat him there, you're gonna do his whole job for him, okay, and then you're gonna tell him, hey, I, I showed up at your store to help you do your job, um, when you get here, let me know, so I was like, okay, got there at 4 30 a.m., did his whole job at that store, and then he comes later, and he calls me, he's like, hey, um, I'm here at my first account. Somebody like, did the whole thing for me already. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got there to help you out, but you didn't show up, so I just did it myself. And he was like, oh. And I was like, yeah, it's okay, dude. Happy to help you. Just don't do it again. And he was like, yeah, I won't do it again. <laughs> problem solved. Never a problem again. I didn't know what to do, but my boss was like, this is what you do, and I did it. I was following him, and it made a huge impact. I mean, it completely, eventually, we did win that Ring of Honor thing, not because I was so impressive, because we got some salespeople on our team that were just animals and made us look amazing, and so we won. So anyway, I got to ride that train into glory. But, um, and so my point is, is that the only reason that that happened was because I had him. Literally the only reason. Without him, I would have done 20% of what I did. And so because I was willing to listen to him and because he took an interest in me, it just made a huge impact. And it kind of like brings up this important question. Like, how does a person best mature into something? How does a person best grow into what they can be, should be, right? Now, look, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, the the, the commission that Jesus gives our church, the church, is to go and make disciples, right? And so for us, if we're following Jesus, we're his disciples, that means we follow him. If we're following Jesus, how do we best grow up into that, right? How do we best grow up into that? And part of the point that I'm trying to make to you guys here today is that you need someone, honestly, probably multiple people, but particularly someone who takes a mentorship-type interest in you in that way. So, you know, we've been preaching through Acts, you know, verse by verse through Acts, but we're going to take a little two-week interlude here to talk about something really important. We're going to talk about how Jesus made disciples, Okay? If we're supposed to go and grow as disciples, look, guys, our mission as a church is to grow as disciples of Jesus and to make them of all kinds of people. Grow as disciples of Jesus and to make them of all kinds of people. That's our church's mission. How do we do that? So, what we're gonna do in the next two weeks is see how Jesus did it. We're gonna see how the Master did it. And we're gonna follow him. So um a lot of the this sermon draws in the work of a guy named dan spader he wrote a book called four chair discipleship great incredible book on a whim i emailed like his website because he's like really famous i emailed him i was like hey you want to chat about your book i got a lot of questions i just planted a church and then he emails me back he's like yeah let's have a zoom i was like oh what so i got on zoom with him and then he's emailing me back and forth with our questions and then like i'm hitting him up with questions he's like yeah if this answer doesn't clarify just like shoot me a text i was like so I get his number, and I, he's like in his sixties, right? And so I'm, I leave him a voice memo just to see if he like sends me a voice memo back. I leave him a voice memo, and then he just emails me back. I was like, yes, yeah, it's okay." <laughs> so, but his work has really shaped me and our church in this. And he basically identifies four stages that a person goes through as they grow as they come to faith and as they grow as a believer. And so this sermon today, we're going to talk about the first two stages. The next sermon next week, we're going to talk about the final two, and then we'll go back into Acts. But today, the first stage that he identifies is just this, the unbeliever. This is stage one, if you're taking notes, okay? The unbeliever. And the invitation for this person is come and see. Okay, we're going to open John 1, 35 through 39. Um. And of of course, this is the first stage, right? This is somebody who hasn't yet begun to follow Jesus. So this first text, here's the context. Um, The context is it's the beginning of the Gospel of John. John the Baptist, who's a different John, has prepared the way for Jesus. He's made some disciples. He's telling them, hey, the Messiah's coming. When he comes, he's the one you need to follow, okay? And enter John 1, 35 through 39. Okay, this is what it says. It's going to be up on the screen, too. Um, In fact... Here, Paul. Let me uh, let me give you uh, the slides so that you can you can uh, d- just be, know what's coming. <laughs> All right, 35 through 39 um, says this: the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, "What are you seeking?" They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Okay, so the disciples that are following John, John's like, yo, there's the Lamb of God, the Messiah, he's here. And John's disciples are like, and they start going after Jesus. They start following Jesus. John's like, Jesus hype man, okay? And he's hyping the way for Jesus, and boom, some disciples start following him. And the thing that you notice here, so in this unbeliever stage, somebody who doesn't follow Jesus, there's kind of two subcategories to that. The first one is the seeker, okay? A seeker is someone who's interested. A seeker who someone is thinking about these things, God's Spirit has been doing a work in their heart, and they've progressed in some of these questions. They're looking. That's what you see from these two disciples as they follow Jesus. They're like, that's the Lamb of God, they go after Him. Sometimes these people, you'll, you'll meet them, they'll come into church. Like, you know, most times the people who come to church are the people that are already Christians, not always. But sometimes seekers will just show up. The Spirit will literally just drag them in and they'll be there. And you're like, hey, how'd you find out about us? They're like, I don't really know. And they're, you know, they're here. It's so awesome to spend time with seekers because they're so hungry. They, they want it. They're asking big questions. I met a, a guy, not this last this current semester, but the last one in college ministry. We're doing some events. And I uh, had this conversation with a student. And I was like, hey, dude, like, uh, good hanging out. How'd you, how'd you kind of hear about us? How'd you find us? And he was like, I just met some people, like, doing coffee. They were tabling. And, and I was like, okay. And we started talking about spiritual stuff. And this dude was so hungry. He was like, I've been thinking about this for the past year. Like, who is God and what should I do? And he, this guy was just ready to hear the gospel. And so we talked about the gospel. It was so awesome. It was honestly, it's a privilege. It's a privilege for God to entrust seekers to us, right? And so this is what I want you to see from Jesus, though. Okay? The, you see it in verse 36. Look at how he's doing this here. He's, he's just around. He's in proximity to seekers, He's around such that they can come and find him. And John, in this case, tells him to go after him. But point number one here under the unbelievers that we've seen from Jesus is that Jesus was in proximity to unbelievers, all right? And so for us, sometimes they'll come to church. Maybe sometimes they'll come to our life groups, our rhythms. But also, too, like we need to be a public Christian in the city, in our workplaces, in the places that we like to go, right? We need to be a public Christian such that the way that you discover seekers is just by engaging them. By having spiritual conversations with them, this has happened a lot of different times. Like I can remember one time, my wife, we were at somebody's, um, it was like a wedding celebration party, and my wife met someone there, and uh, just immediately the conversation goes spiritual, and they just start talking about Christianity and faith the whole time. And but I mean, Jung didn't know that, but because she was engaging with her, it came up. Okay, so this is um, this is the unbeliever. Jesus is in proximity to them. Here's the second point that I want you guys to see, verse 39. Look at what happens in verse 39, the invitation Jesus gives. He says, "Come and you will see." One of the things that Dr. Spader points out in his book that's just really helpful is Jesus is always giving people invitations and challenges. He's seeing where people are at and he's inviting them to more. He's seeing where people are at and he's challenging them to more. And this is this is what you see, it's an invitation. The disciples come and ask him something, and he says, come and you will see. And then what you see is he spends the rest of the day with them. It says, uh, so they came and saw where he was staying, and, and, uh, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, which I think is 4 p.m. So they probably stayed the rest of the day with him. Maybe they stayed wherever he was that night, and they got time with him. They got time with him. Jesus gave them an invitation and then gave them his time. Come and you will see. Guys, when we... Um, when, you know, this last thing we did with this new year about asking people to go through the book of Mark with us, that's a come and see invitation, okay? When you have someone who's considering faith and you say to them, hey, what if we went through the book of Mark together and you saw for yourself what Jesus is like? Super influential guy, understanding Christianity at a minimum is going to help you understand the people in the world a little bit better, right? So what if you came and went through Mark with me chapter by chapter and made made a decision for Jesus yourself? That's a come-and-see invitation. Come and see what it's like, right? Um, and so, 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 point number one, Jesus was in proximity to them. Point number two, he extends them an invitation, spends time with them. And point number three kind of comes with the second category of unbeliever. You've got the seeker, but then you've got the disinterested person, all right? We all probably have a lot of people like these in our lives. If you brought up Christianity, they might eye-roll you. If you brought up something about faith, they just would not be interested, they're not curious about Jesus, about what's going on with you. There's, that's Honestly, I would probably say that's probably most people in the city that I meet, anyway. So, an unbeliever who's disinterested. And, and I just want to read for you uh, one of, how one of Jesus' disciples handled this. Okay? This is Paul. It's going to be Acts 17, 16 through 17. So, this is Paul in Athens. Look at how he handles the disinterested unbeliever. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul's here, he's in Athens. He sees all this idolatry, the worship of false gods, not the creator God. They're worshiping creation rather than creator. And he's moved because he cares for these people. And then he goes and starts to engage them. He starts to reason with them, okay? Another great story from my wife that happened this week. I just love her so much. This last week, she invites a a friend, an old friend over um, from Denver that she knows. Not a Christian at all and very disinterested in it. But Joni invites her over for drinks. They mix drinks together. They're hanging out. And then the conversation turns in a spiritual direction. And Joni, you know, one of the things we've trained in this church is to share the gospel using Romans 6.23. And Joni's never shared Romans 6.23 before. Um, she shared the gospel before, but not in that kind of method that we've learned together. Shares the gospel with her using Romans 6.23 for the first time. She's goaded. And, um, and, then, and then, you know what comes after that? A flurry of questions. Well, what about this, though? And what about, the, what about the person who never hears about Jesus and lives on an island somewhere? Well, that doesn't really make any sense. The flurry of questions and objections, of course, right? Because they're spiritually disinterested. There's reasons that they're spiritually disinterested. And those reasons start to come out because Joni drew them out. And it was an awesome conversation. They got to talk about the gospel. She got to extend her to her an invitation to go through Mark together. And so the third point that I want you to see is this. With your invitations that you give, like Jesus, when you say, come and see, oftentimes we need to support that with reason and persuasion. You need to persuade. You need to reason together. The Bible loves reason. Faith is supported by reason. And sometimes when we don't understand something and there's maybe no reason to back it up, well, maybe there we're walking by faith in a way that's without reason. But generally, God commands you to love him with your mind. I mean, what do you think? that That's reason. And when we see Paul here, what's he doing? He's reasoning with them, right? And so um, with the unbeliever, with the come and see invitation, when you're talking about someone who's disinterested especially, point number three is you need to support your invitation with reason and persuasion. So the awesome thing about this first person, guys, the unbeliever, stage one, the awesome thing about this that you see from Jesus is that he's interested in them. He's interested in them, the seeker and the disinterested person as well. You can see him engage with other disinterested people like the Samaritan woman, some of the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees are not only disinterested, they're combative, right? But Jesus loves these people and he pursues them. He loves these people and he pursues them. And it's one of the best things that you see from Jesus in this first stage is He loves people. I mean, one of the things the Bible says about God, and Jesus is God. He's claimed to be God, and He is God. One of the things the Bible says is God desires all people to come to repentance. And that's what you see from Jesus. You see that desire manifested in Him. And so He's out there in the wild giving, come and see invitations. And so the disciples accept it. And so what if the person says, okay, okay. You convinced me, I'm in. This Jesus, he's compelling to me. I think he raised from the dead, like you said. The, just reading about him in Mark, you know what? I, want, I think I want to follow Jesus. What if they say that? Well, now we enter stage two. So if you're taking notes, stage two is the new believer. Okay, The new believer. The invitation for the new believer is follow me. Okay, For the unbeliever, stage one, it's come and see. And for the new believer, stage two, it's follow me. So uh, just shortly after our John text, so go back to John 1. I'm going to have it on the screen here too. John 1, 43. Look at what happens with Jesus. This is shortly after he invites those previous disciples. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Okay, we could go to also Matthew 9.9, 9, where he says the same thing to one of the future apostles, Matthew. Matthew's like working in a tax booth, and Jesus is like, Matthew, come and follow me. It's kind of like half invitation, half challenge, right? Because, I mean, the, the cost to become a follower of someone is significant. You really orient your life around them. And so they kind of had to count the cost to see if they wanted to do that. And so this is, a, <coughs> this is what happened with me. And that mentor I told you guys about at the beginning, that career mentor. <coughs> you know, I was... <coughs> I was career baby, and then he helped me come to career man, or at least career puberty, right? He said to me, follow me. And I said, okay. And it was a huge blessing to me, right? That's exactly what happened with me. And so Hebrews 5, of this type of person, the new believer, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says that, you know, the new believer, the immature person needs spiritual milk. They need time to grow, They're, they're in many ways, they're infants. They're sort of dependent. You have to help handhold them. Sometimes they wet the bed, and you need to help with that, right? Some, Some of you remember when you were early believers and the mistakes that you made. I was just telling you about the mistakes that I was making, right? And they need help. They need people to lead them, right? They need people to teach them. So that's what you see Jesus, the invitation slash challenge that he extends here to Philip. He says, follow me, okay? Now, when we're talking about follow me, like, following Jesus, there's so many categories of things that they start watching him do, right? From his generosity to his love to how he talks about God to this and to that. There's so many categories of things, so I'm just going to boil it down. So we haven't really talked about our values as a church yet, but we have six values as a church. You're going to find out when our website <laughs> starts showing them, which will be soon. Um, and there's six values that we have as a church. And, and oftentimes with church, if you go to a website, oftentimes their values are like sort of things that distinguish them. But we were challenged in our kind of boot camp when we were forming the church. Hey, your values should be the Bible's values. Like, don't get fancy, dude. Like, be, have your values be what God would have them be. If you can only list six because people can't remember 12, then summarize. What should they be? And so I'm going to summarize for you the six values that for our church that really, I think, summarize and characterize the Christian life. And so when we're talking about Jesus, follow me, he models these things to them. For months and months, they just get to watch this unfold. So here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. The Word of God. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Okay? The Word of God, one of the values. Look at Jesus when he talks about this. Teacher, um, by the way, the context of this is a teacher of the law is challenging Jesus. Jesus is responding. Okay? Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Okay? So here's, look, I don't actually want you to focus on the content of the commandment. This is what I want you to see from here. From this. Jesus summarizes the whole Old Testament in two sentences. He summarizes, how do you do that? The only way to do that is to be so familiar with it, to love it so much, to have thought about it, to have ingested it, to read through it, to sit with it, to meditate on it. The only way to get to that level of familiarity with the teachings, if you were to summarize them for the Old Testament, is to, is to love it that much and to spend time with it that much. And that is where the Word of God sits for us as a priority in the Christian life, all right? Um, it all, one of the things it says about God's Word is, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? This is food, guys. You want to grow as a Christian? You want the people you love to grow in their relationship with God? Give them food, the word of God. That's what it calls itself, right? It's central to the Christian life. You want their identity to solidify? Oftentimes with new believers, like, you know, they're still being tempted by previous identities, things that they were into that they are trying to repent and turn away from, you want their identity to solidify. Give them the word of God. Okay, I just watched Barbie recently, the movie, <laughs> and slight spoiler, um, which you know, if you haven't seen it, you had your chance, and it's Barbie. You're gonna be okay, you know. So at the end of the at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, there's this wild moment. It's really significant where Barbie is talking to her creator, and Barbie says to her creator, "I, um, I don't want to be the thing that's made. I want to be a part of the people who make things." Who make meaning? She says, and the creator's like, I don't. I'm not. You know, telling you what to do. You need to. You need to decide for yourself, basically, what to go and do. Okay. So the culture. And this is like so paradigmatic of what our culture tells us to do. Your highest reality, our culture says, is for you to is is what's inside to come out. Your greatest desires, go achieve them. Go satisfy them. Go get them. Right. That's what the culture tells us to do. Exactly what Barbie does. Right. But that's not what it is for a Christian. For a Christian, we're a created being with a purpose made by God with specific loves and skills and passions and things about us, with specific works, Ephesians 2 says, that we're to walk in. So if you want their identity to solidify and for them to come and discover why God put them here, give them the word of God. Amen? That's the first value. Second value, worship. John 4, 24 says this. God, this is Jesus talking, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the context here is he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And she's kind of arguing, well, the Samaritans, we worship God on this mountain. You Jews, you worship him over here. And Jesus' point is, God is spirit. You worship him everywhere. God is spirit. And then he says this interesting thing. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Which is to say, worship God for who he said he is. Not some other thing that we've maybe come up with or that we want or that aspirationally want him to be. Worship God for who he said he is and worship throughout all of life, day in and day out, as you're going through work, as you're going through your days, you're spending time with people, an awareness, a thankfulness, a gratitude towards God for what he's done and what he's doing. That's a life characterized by worship. And here Jesus is teaching it to the Samaritan woman. Okay, even, guys, even in suffering. In these moments where we feel like God's walked away, a heart that's pursuing worship understands that God has a right to bring certain things into our life and bring certain things out, and we can still trust Him, right? That's the second value for us as a church, and that Jesus models. Word of God, worship, and here's the third thing, prayer, okay? So uh, Mark 1, verse 35, says this. Look at, you look at Jesus. Look at what He's modeling here for His disciples, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And and look, I you know I love praying to God in the car, and during different other times, but I just want to be clear with you guys. Like this, this is not what we see here. He goes up, gets up intentionally, finds solitude, and gets devoted time with God alone, speaking to Him. I mean, you talk about intimacy with God, closeness with God. Prayer is at the dead center of that. Just like in your life, like people that you spend time talking with the most are people oftentimes you're the closest with, so too with God. You want intimacy and closeness with God. Your prayer life has to catch on fire. Um, A vibrant prayer life means closeness with God. And this kind of text right here where he gets up early and goes out and prays, this happens like 30 plus times in the Gospels. It happens over and over and over again. For me personally, this is one of the things as I think about my year and Joni and I, we did our planning a couple weeks ago. This is one of the things I felt God speaking to me. He's like, you need to be a man who prays to me regularly and hears my voice regularly. So this is one of the things that's gonna characterize my year. That's the third thing. Fourth thing, mission. Look at the next few verses right after this prayer verse. Next few verses here. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went out through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So here's the thing that you see in this text. Other people have priorities for Jesus. There's other people that have demands on his time, demand on his focus. But what does Jesus have? He's got his own focus. He left in the morning to go and pray. They come and find him like, yo, people are asking where you are. We got stuff to do. And Jesus is like, yeah, I do. And it's over here. And what's he focused on here? He's focused on bringing the gospel to those who haven't heard. Part of Jesus's focus is the mission, right guys? So oftentimes for a a new Christian, we're in stage two here, right? The new believer. This often takes a while. And it should, like Jesus isn't asking him to go and do that yet. He's just having them watch him come with me, watch me do what I do, right? I mean, you don't want to put an expectation on someone for something before they're ready. When Noah was a baby, okay, when he was a baby, he would wake up at 7 a.m. and then he would go back to bed at 10 a.m., okay? He was, he was awake for three hours. Imagine if I said to him, wow, Noah, up at 7, down at 10 again, not exactly the gold standard of endurance, are you, buddy? Right? Imagine if I said that. It's, that'd be the weirdest. He's a baby, Right, he needs, he's growing, he's maturing, he needs time. So this is what we see, Jesus, he's like, guys, watch me do this. <coughs> he's not telling them to do it. They get to come and see, follow me. This is what it means, follow me. That was the fourth thing, mission. The fifth thing, community. John 13, 34 through 35. This is Jesus again. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And this is what Jesus is, Jesus is like. Look, this is towards the end of John, the Gospel of John. They've spent a lot of time with Jesus. They've seen the way that he—they've seen Jesus in community. They've seen him spend time with people. They've seen the way that he loves people, right? And, and what Jesus is saying is, the world's going to know who you are by the way that you treat each other, by the way that you love one another, and how does Jesus demonstrate that ultimately, guys? They, After he says this to them, they watch him go to the cross. They watch Jesus hold back absolutely nothing for them, from them. He gives up his very life. That is what characterizes his community. That's what he models for them. That's the beautiful core of the gospel, that Jesus came to die as a substitute on your behalf. That's community. Here's the final thing. Uh, the final value that we see Jesus modeling for new believers, okay? Holiness and good works. Matthew 5, 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This, the context of this is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest hit, where he preaches for a long time, and this is one of the things that he tells them to do, to let your light shine before others and... Uh, so that they may see your good works. Guys, a person who has been loved a lot, loves a lot. A person who has received generosity becomes generous. A person like Jesus, I want you to picture in your mind when he washed the disciples' feet. When he served them. Just walk, following Jesus throughout, all throughout Israel. Watching him heal people. Watching him spend long days and tired and miss meals for the sake of these people that he loves doing good works for them, letting his light shine so that it caused them to give glory to God. So too with us. So too with us. So, we've seen the first two stages today. We've seen come and see, the invitation to the unbeliever, whether they're a seeker or someone disinterested. And we've also seen uh, the new believer, follow me. Somebody starts to follow Jesus for the first time. They're the they're spiritual toddler, and they're learning from Jesus. They're seeing how to live this Christian life. So guys, like we, here's the thing about like this model is, we are going through this model ourselves. We used to not be Christian, maybe now, many of us are. We followed Jesus, and what we're gonna see next week is that Jesus then asks his disciples to do what he just did to them. That's what we're gonna see next week, and we're gonna see him after he's raised them as spiritual infants to then turn around and be like, I want you guys to do this now, too. And when you think about your spiritual walk, when you think about the growth that you've had, do not faces come to mind. Do not specific people that God used come to mind. This is Jesus' model. This is what he did for them. And as we're going to see next week, it's what he calls us in, too. The great thing, in conclusion, guys, the great thing about this follow-me stage the great thing about this follow me stage is the thing about it is Jesus is ahead of you. Jesus is in front of you. And he's not taking you anywhere that he's not going with you and hasn't gone already. And I know that just talking with many of you guys, that several of us right now are in a spiritual valley. And by that, I mean suffering, hardship. And honestly, Many of you have followed Jesus into that place. Some of us have left the places that we've grown up. Others of us, other things, whether it's significant others or work related. The beautiful thing about following Jesus is that even if he takes you into a valley, you know what? He's there. And we can go somewhere else, try and get out of the valley on our own, somewhere where Jesus isn't leading. But again, we're walking away from Jesus at that point, And we're walking away from his presence. The beautiful thing about following Jesus is that in the valley, if you're following him, he's with you. You see that? See how he's in front of you and with you and won't leave you and, and honestly has led you here on purpose and has a plan and a purpose for it. Has a plan and a purpose for it. And like we talked about last week, in the valley, you can trust him. You can trust him if he leads you there. Amen? Amen? All right, Um, let's pray really quick and then we're going to do communion. Lord.